I'm Claire Lim and welcome to Guru Live for a session on the rise of the peaceful video games, part of Guru Live Online's 2022 programme, which is a joint initiative between BAFTA Scotland and BAFTA Cymru, where all week we will be celebrating and inspiring the next generation of talent with panels, masterclasses and discussions. So before we start, we've got a little bit of housekeeping. Um, questions are 100% welcome. Um, we would like you to send those via the Q&A function on Zoom. Closed captioning is available now, which you can turn off at the bottom of your screen. And you can join the conversation uh, live on social media using hashtag Guru Live. So without further ado, let's introduce our wonderful speakers. We have got Jude Orr um, of Playmob. We've got lovely Lucy Black for Media Molecule. And we have Rob Madden of Hyperluminal Games. Hello to Jude, Lucy and Rob. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Uh, before we start, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourselves properly and what you do where you are. So let's start with Jude. Uh, introduce yourself, please. What do you do at Playmob? Hi, Claire, and thank you. And hi to everyone. Um, so my name's Jude and I'm the founder and CEO of Playmob. Um, we're based in London. Um, so essentially what we do is we're a, uh, we're a market insights platform that leverages gaming um, to talk to gamers and find out how they feel about global issues and in particular about climate change. Um, so we ask them how they feel about climate change um, by using a, a mini game via existing mobile games. And then we uh, gather up their opinions and we feed it back to people who can make decisions like um, world leaders and CEOs and um, so one example that we've worked on has been um, working with the UN to gather up public opinion about climate change, give this to world leaders in 50 countries around the world um, in the hope that we can change policy uh, around climate action at a much quicker rate than is what, ha what is happening now. Um, so that's, that's me, that's what we do. Excellent. Okay, we're going to get into that properly later. Um, Lucy, if you could introduce yourself, what do you do at Media Molecule? Hi there, I'm Lucy Black. I'm a UX writer at Media Molecule. Um, and what that means is that in particular for Dreams, although we've done it for a few other projects as well, I write all of the tooltips, uh, I name features, I write messages that are going to come up. All of it, Basically, if it's text, it's gone through me at some point. Got it. Thank you, Lucy. And finally, lovely Rob from Hyperluminal Games. What is it you do over there? Yeah, hi. Uh, yeah, my name's Rob. I'm the creative director and one of the co-founders at Hyperluminal. Um, so day to day, I tend to be involved in more of our original IP projects that we build in the studio. So I work with the teams to kind of ideate our games and figure out what it is that we're building and how we're going to build it and uh, kind of go through that development journey with them. Got it. So I'm going to start with uh, Jude, first of all. Um, I wanted to find out, Jude, um, how you got to where you were and and then that sort of lead into working with Playmob? Yeah, so um, I studied at Aberdeen University in Dundee and um, I and I ended up working with a startup that had created a, um, a games company uh, that was building games for training and education. And so I was writing my dissertation at the time, saw this company that was kind of spinning out of the university um, and I loved gaming. So I thought, what a great way to combine gaming um, with learning um, and training. So I did my dissertation with them and then became one of the, the founding team members. Um, so that was back in 2000 and 
2002, uh, <laughs> almost two decades ago, it's, it's crazy. Um, and so that's kind of where I kind of picked up this love for um, how to use games for another reason other than just pure entertainment. Um, and subsequently, I then went on to set up my own company that was kind of focused on more kind of corporate training games. Um, and then the reason for setting up PlayMob was just seeing how um, how impactful games can be on people in a really positive way. Um, and, uh, you know, from building games for education and for training, um, you know, they obviously don't get as much traction as a pure entertainment game would get. So my, the idea for PlayMob came about from kind of really thinking about how entertainment games could be used as a power, powerful force for good. Um, and a couple of things happened around about the time I was thinking about you know, what would an impactful gaming company look like? And it was... Um, Jane McGonagall, the researcher, had written a book about um, uh, called Reality is Broken. And she'd said at the time we were spending three billion hours per week playing games collectively. Um, but if we can get to 21 billion hours per week, we can start to solve some of the world's most pressing problems like climate change, um, obesity, poverty. Um, and so right now it's a really exciting moment because we are at that tipping point of 21 billion hours. You know, we're playing the average gamer is spending about seven hours a week playing. Um, there are 3.1 billion gamers on the planet. So we're at that 21 billion, so it's really exciting. I think the other thing that happened was um, Zynga, who uh, created Farmville, and this was before Farmville on mobile, this was on Facebook only, um, launched a campaign for the Haiti earthquake. So when the earthquake happened, they wanted to raise money for the victims. They sold an item inside the game and a percentage of money went to charity to support the victims of the earthquake. Um, and $1.5 million was raised in five days. And so that was kind of the aha moment of, you know, then imagine doing something embedded within existing games. Um, and that's where PlayMob was born. Excellent. I'm going to ask about the, that positive impact that games have uh, later on. I wanted to ask Lucy, though, because you have also been working in the games industry, is it, am I right in saying, for about two decades now as well, Lucy, is that correct? Yeah, 23 years, I think it is. Um, I also was at Aberté, uh, so I'm a former alumni as well. Yeah. Um, and I did my degree in programming, uh, but very quickly realised that wasn't, because game programmers are, are like the Ferraris of the programming world. Um, but I managed to get myself a job at Perfect Entertainment um, in production. Uh, from there, went to Creative Assembly, still doing production, worked on um, the first three Total War games. Uh, and then after that, uh, I ended up at Media Molecule, um, still doing production. And a few years ago, realised that I should be doing words rather than production. So here we are. Excellent. And uh, finally, Rob, like, um, tell us about your start into the industry. Like, how did you get in there and, and get to where you are today? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a recurring theme here. I'm an Aberdeen alumni as well. Oh, uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I graduated in the, out of the postgrad uh, in 2014, uh, and that was where I met my, my business partner, Stuart. Um, and, you know, we, we developed Hyperluminal Games uh, from there and, you know, started out as just, you know, a couple of people um, up in the attic of Aberty and we were now up to, I think, 45-ish uh, staff now uh, over the seven-year period. So, um, yeah, we, we do a whole bunch of different uh, things at the studio. You know, we, we do a lot of work for hire for clients that are, some are games-related, some are, are very much not games-related. Um, and we do a similar sort of thing of taking kind of game design principles and applying them to maybe non-game situations to, to facilitate, you know, learning or, 
or education and things like that. And then the other side of the business is about our original games as well, which is what I'm predominantly more involved in building our own entertainment games that also have a, a kind of a, a greater kind of sense of purpose to them as well. You know, they, they, they have a, a kind of a, um, a, a, a target to sort of enrich lives in some way, right? So um, so that was really my, my journey was fairly simple, right? It was um, just Aberté and then we moved right into, into Hyperluminal and I've, I've worked on that since, since then. How long have you been in the industry for? Because we've got Lucy and and Jude that have been in the industry for quite a while. Have you? How long has it been for you? Just seven years for me. Yeah. So just since we started Hyperluminal up to to about now. So no, I'm not as, as experienced as the other two, but um, I'm still always learning. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, I wanted to um, ask. This is a question for all of you. We'll start uh, going back to Jude. How has the industry changed? Would you say? Um, from when you started and you made your first steps leaving Aberté to now, how would you say it's changed for you? I mean, it's, it's grown hugely. Um, mm -hmm. It's first. I think it's. I think the perception of gaming has changed as well. It's no longer kind of niche and geeky. It's for everyone um, of all ages. Um, you know, it's not a particular type of person that plays a game now. It's everyone. So I think that's been a massive change. And I think how games are being used and applied outside of being entertainment games as well has really grown so um when i started off kind of in the first the first spin out um at Aberté, i think people just thought we were crazy just thought we were mental they were like why are you trying to teach people to learn through games you know it wasn't really a, a body of research it, it was quite early days um but there's so much now in that space and i think the industry as a whole um it's, it's just i think the pure size and reach and the fact that um, you know, previously it was kind of, you know, the big games were on console, whereas now it's more on mobile. Um, you know, console is still big, but mobile is the dominant um, market, which means that then you're reaching people in all corners of the planet. Um, you don't have to have an expensive console. You don't have to have the best bandwidth or internet connection to play. Um, it, it really has opened up the doors for, for everyone. So I think in terms of diversity and inclusion, it's, it's getting better um but i think the different perspectives that are that are being brought into the games industry are are really fascinating as well so um i definitely think that's kind of the, the, some of the main changes that we've seen and i think you know the area that we focus on as well which is the impact side you know even 10 years ago and kind of setting up Playmob, um you know we were you know people kind of look at us and kind of go well are you a charity because you're doing good or are you a company it's like no we're a profit with purpose business um and when we were going out to talk to game developers it was csr and impact wasn't really on um it was on a few people's radars but not many um whereas now i mean that's just exploded as well you know how can you engage your players and making a difference because players consumers want that too um so i think there's been a huge change in um, consumer attitudes and spending um, behaviours that have also influenced what we do in the games industry as well. Do you agree with some of the things that Jude has said, Lucy, in terms of the changes over the, the last couple of decades from when you started? What what kind of changes have you seen? Yeah, absolutely. I would echo quite a lot of what Jude said. Um, it's unbelievable how much bigger it is and people don't look at you like is that even a job when you say that you're in video games, you know, um, which used to be a thing. And I mean, I'm so old and I've been in it for so long that when I went to Aberté, they weren't even doing games courses. They started doing them a couple of years after I left. Uh, and one of my lecturers said, what do you want to waste your skills in? 
video games for. <laughs> uh, so that's that's a change. Um, and you know, when it, when I actually started in the industry, we were still shipping uh, our final builds on discs, and you know, uh, so that's a huge change. And just you know, the, there's young people in the industry now. When I when I first started, yeah, they were young, but we were all the same age. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I feel like there was definitely a period where it became really, really difficult to get into video games as a career. Um, and I feel like that's changing over the past few years. So I feel like I've seen that go down and then up again. You know, I used to say regularly at events like this that it's really hard to get into the video game industry. And I just don't think that's the case anymore because I feel like the video game industry is welcoming people with open arms, you know? It's good, which is really good. Um, yeah, yeah, it's terrific. Yeah, because it's such a, it's so silly because it's such a big industry, you know, so there's, there should be lots of opportunity there and, and people yeah. should be welcomed with open arms from all corners of the globe, you know? Um, yeah. Rob, uh, tell me about some of your career highlights at Hyperluminal Games so far. I want to know a little bit more about some of your, your best moments here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we've had many even just in the short time we, we've been there. But um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the, I mean, even just recently, right, like our past 12 months have been crazy, right, just in terms of the amount of growth that we've gone through and the the the, the scaling up of the studio. You know, I said, well, before we went into kind of lockdown period, we were around 12 people um, and we've come out of that now, like I said, at about 45 staff, right? So we've gone through a massive amount of growth there and that's because of you know, a lot of really awesome work that we've managed to secure, a lot of great development partners we've managed to, to work with over the past little while. So, um, you know, there's a ton of highlights there. We've moved into a new office in Dundee in the Vision Building, um, which is a beautiful new space for us to be in. So, yeah, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of really exciting times in the studio. And in terms of what I work on day to day, you know, we have two original IP that we're building at the moment. Uh, one of them's called Cloud Jumper and one of them's called Pine Hearts. Uh, and they're both now at the point where they're out with publishers and a lot of uh, buzz and consideration going on there. They're almost at the point where we've kind of got them signed and are into full development. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, for, for me, there's um, there's been loads of, of really exciting moments throughout the past year. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to just kind of getting getting back into it, right? Getting back into the studio and getting people in their seats again and kind of get that feel, that buzz again of being around around our staff, you know, because there's nothing quite like it, I think, for me. Yeah, being around a bit of creativity because it's great working yeah. on your own but yeah to sort of bounce ideas and get that inspiration of course yeah. um before we get into talking about uh the the larger scene of where you guys fit into non-violent video games add the same question for jude and lucy uh jude career highlights so far at playmob uh specifically what would you say they are um, yes, really good question. I mean, I think I think when when the results came out for the people's climate vote, that was that was that really kind of cemented how powerful the games industry can be and how quickly we can get um, people to respond to speaking up about what they care about. You know, what we are really trying to do is not um, not leave it so long to have you know like a year in between you know research or data um, that you know it's too late to make decisions especially when it comes to something like climate change whereas in three weeks we were able to reach um 33 million people and do the, the world's create this world's biggest vote ever on climate action in a short space of time but that was only possible via using mobile games um and the fact that that data and it was all validated by oxford university it was it, it had really rigorous polling methodology behind it as well um 
but I think a couple of things were, you know, one thing was that we were able to give so many people a voice on something that matters to them. And we were able to reach people that had never had a voice on climate change before, but weren't able to speak up because of where they were or who they were or how old they were. Um, so it really kind of opened the playing field to everyone having a voice on climate change. And then that data then going to world leaders to change policy, obviously that's really powerful, but the data also made its way into the IPCC report recently. Um, and so that'll probably be one of the first times ever that this sort of data from the game space um, is being listened to on a much bigger um, level. So, I get quite excited about that, as, as you can tell, because it's like it's, it's really game changing. And so that that for me is is one of the big highlights and what we've been working towards. Um, and I think the other thing that's really um, been a, a real moment for us is when we set up the Plane for the Planet Alliance with uh, with UN Environment. So we were the co-founders of, of the Alliance. Um, we launched it in 2019. So we did a press conference at the UN to announce the first 20 members, which also include uh, included Xbox and PlayStation, um, Xbox game games. So we had them, had everyone in a room together, all talking about climate, um, which was a really magical moment as well. So, you know, everyone together as friends. Um, and now it's um, almost 50 members and we've got monthly reach of 1.4 billion people. And so the, the, the plan there is trying to activate people to take action for the planet and to become carbon neutral, if not carbon negative. So as we play more, we have a carbon footprint. So we have to think about that too. So it's really trying to be um, cautious about our playtime and, and the planet. So those two things really are kind of big. I mean, it's hard to kind of pick them out, but there's, those two for me are the standout moments. Well, they're really blooming big. <laughs> they're really big. <laughs> That's really excellent because you're actually the feeling of making a difference must be the thing that makes you you know get the goosebumps you know yeah. you feel like you're actually doing something really good um so like amazing work uh, what about you lucy um anything that stands out for you that's like a career highlight so far um i mean there's i've been so lucky in the two companies i mean i've worked at more companies but the two companies that i've worked at for the longest in creative assembly and media molecule um so there's been an awful lot of highlights uh i was really excited when shogun total war was first released because i felt like that's the first pro product that i'd worked on that i'd really made a, an impact on that i'd made a big difference to um when little big planet was released that was one of the most exciting times of, of my entire career because it was such a new little studio and there was such a good buzz about it um, and I was in there, you know, uh, near the beginning of it. Um, so that was fantastic. Uh, and then on a, and you know, we've had the BAFTAs. BAFTAs have been great. Tearaway in particular, because we all, that was a labour of love, that game. And um, so the fact that it got the BAFTAs that it did just was delightful. Um, you know, BAFTAs are never not exciting. Uh, and just on a purely personal level, realizing that I could make the switch from production to UX writing full time was fantastic. And I've never been happier. Um, it's not that I hated production, uh, but it wasn't my natural place. And I feel like UX writing really is. And now there's becoming more and more of a need for it. So that is that was a really brilliant moment when I got to do that. Amazing stuff. Uh, we're going to move on to talking about non-violent video game outputs because that's that's really what this panel is all about. Um, and I wanted to find out 
um, how your work, all of you, fits into that larger scene of non-violent video game output. So I'll start with uh, Rob first. Um, how would you say that your your work fits into that genre of game? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think there's there's kind of two sides uh, to how our work fits into that, again, based on kind of work for hire and, and OIP. So the work for hire that we do, a lot of the projects that we pick out are what we kind of see as games for good, right? It's kind of what, what we look at it. And there's a few key ones, and one in particular was just launched called Venture Valley, which is a great example, right? So it was built um, in conjunction with an American charity called the Singleton Foundation. And one of their really big focuses about promoting financial literacy, right? So helping, you know, um, children and people as they move into college to kind of understand finances and managing their finances. And if they were to then go into business, you know, how would they uh, kind of go about doing that, right? And so they, they wanted to develop this game called Venture Valley that is a game that uses, you know, game design principles. It's a city builder, a strategy game at, at heart, but really the, the intent is to then teach people about financial literacy and help them kind of understand uh, that, that those sorts of ideas. And it's tied into then the, char the sort of donations that the charity makes to various colleges and, and sort of sponsorship in regards to um, scholarships and things like that. So there's a huge component there that kind of helps people move from the game and then into um, actual sort of higher education and things like that. So that's kind of how our, our work for hire fits in. And then our OIP, um, they're part of what we sort of see is the broader wholesome games market, right? So games that really want to put a focus on kind of storytelling and games that kind of have a greater sense of purpose, I think, in, in what they want to say, right? They're, they're entertainment games, you know, they're, they're fun, they're games, and that's always a really core component, but they have an element of story to them that kind of touches on, you know, maybe more sensitive areas of, of you know, sort of emotion or kind of life experience and things like that. So, Pine Hearts, one of the games that we're building at the moment, is about a character who's lost their father recently, right? And it's about them kind of coming to terms with that loss and understanding their character growth and how that develops over the course of the game. And it's still very much a lighthearted puzzle game, you know, that's very accessible, but it does have these themes underneath it that players, if they want to engage in, can kind of scratch away and find those, those kind of deeper meanings that we hope, you know, make that game a little more enriching, right, than if it was sort of just a, a puzzle game or, or something like that. So... Um, that's kind of how our two sides of the business kind of fit into that that sort of sphere. Excellent. And what about you, Lucy, with, with what you do at Media uh, Molecule, Molecule, sorry, how does that fit into the larger scene of non-violent video game output? Well, um, all of Media Molecule's output in some way has been related to creativity, which, uh, and what's more non-violent than creativity, really. Um, the act of creation is something that you know, we've always been really, really interested in the Media Molecule and of empowering people, our players, to create themselves. Um, and, you know, uh, on the other side of things, on the studio side of things, we hire for diversity and inclusion and we are involved in all sorts of school stuff and teaching stuff. Um, so our entire ethos is about you know, the, 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 how can we better ourselves and other people kind of thing. Um, the, the creation stuff in dreams, I mean, the, the community recently has just, you know, gone into the stratosphere with the sort of stuff that they're producing. Um, the Impies, which is coming up on Sunday, plug plug, um, is, 
just an entirely joyful explosion of creativity and people, you know, presenting their their insights to the world, if you know what I mean, what's going on in their head. Absolutely. And I think especially with what's going on in the world, I think we forget that video games can project such amazing creativity. That's what keeps culture going. You know, that's is one of the most important aspects of being human, I think, is being creative. Um, Jude, you were talking a lot about how uh, your work at Playmob actually fits into the wider scene of the non-violent video game output. So I, I've actually got a, a sort of slightly different question for you, Jude, if you don't mind. Yep. Um, I will ask Lucy and Rob as well. Um, do you think, Jude, that non-violent video games get enough credit in the industry today? I think, yeah, I think they do. I think there's, you know, there's very few video games that are, are violent. It's just, I guess, you know, the, some of the more violent ones have got big budgets and that's what people see. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I do, I do think that we are seeing more, I mean, especially with, you know, a couple of years ago, um, uh, you know, I think I was judging on the BAFTA uh, committee for the impact games. And the, the amount that we were seeing coming through there of, you know, entertainment games that had been um, uh, specifically built for uh, for impact or entertainment games that had impact weaved into it. Um, so I think the more we see examples of that happening, the more it raises the bar. But um, I definitely think that they are we are seeing more. And I think, again, it kind of goes back to this movement of consumer buying behaviour. Um, People are choosing to to buy products and services that are more impact driven, or and maybe they are choosing less violent as well. I mean, I saw there was a, a really good statistic last year um, during when we were in you know proper lockdown um, that talked about um, you know the, the sales of violent video games had gone down because people had felt that life was just so stressful enough that they didn't want to be more stressed out while playing. Um, so they were choosing more social games, more. Um, well, less violent games. So I think that that could have a big impact on on the types of games that we play. Um, I think there will always be kind of an element of violent video games there. You know, it's, it's down to personal choice what you enjoy playing. But um, I think we'll start to see much more you know, either games developed with a um, with a more kind of ethical lens um, or content within existing games um, that. Uh, kind of promotes other kind of uh, impact will be weaved into it as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll, we're definitely seeing more, uh, which is good, which means that people want it. I wanted to ask just as a, just as a little um, add on here for that question, because you get to see the data, you get to see lots of mm. different sorts of demographical, and I guess psychographical uh, mm. data as well. Um, is there a certain demographic or psychographic of video game or mobile users um, that tend to go towards non-violent video games? Are they older? Are they younger? Are they parents? Are they children? Like, I'm just wondering out of interest, actually. Yeah, so I think in terms of the demographics that we see, um, you know, if we're going quite broad with a topic like, you know, we've, we've done a lot on climate sustainability, we've done a lot around um, health and well-being um, and wellness as well. Um, and you know, typically when we're working with organizations, it depends on who they want to reach. But if you're going quite broad and looking at demographics quite broad, you'll see kind of the, that kind of 18 to 35, 18 to 40 age bracket. Um, you know, they're kind of the ones that kind of 
start playing first. Um, and we see this with, we, we create demographic buckets and then sometimes we have to fill certain buckets to get a representative sample of how um, different groups and different markets feel about a topic. Um, so you'll see that kind of 18 to 35 fill quite quickly, pretty much globally. Um, but then if you start to go quite regional into a topic, and even if it is broad across demographics, it depends on the topic. So we did one recently around water and it was in a particular part of the UK. And um, we found it really hard to get kind of, not, not hard, we got there in the end, but it was slower to get players from the kind of 18 to 40 age bracket playing, the 40 to 65 age groups were feeling quicker. Um, so it, I, think it, it, I think it really depends on, on the topic um, and how, so this, so this kind of shows that the, the, the issue of water may not have been on people's radars if you're kind of in that kind of millennial Gen Z age bracket, but if you're above that, um, it's on your mind, you know, you're, you're seeing the effects of flooding or you're seeing the effects of um, just water issues in general, whereas if you're slightly younger, you might not think about it as much. Um, so, so you do see differences, you do see nuances. I think what we see is um, we've seen slight differences across different markets um, and, and what they care about. Um, and so I think in general, we see when it's an issue like climate change, a lot of people care and um, we, um, we see that from our engagement rates as well. So we use playable ads as our format um, and our average playable ad engagement is about 30%. We've seen as high as 60%. But typically, I think a good kind of engagement rate for a playable ad is about 10%. And if you use standard media, it's below 1%. Um, so I think that kind of speaks to people are engaging with the topic. Um, but yeah, it, it's de it depends how granular you're getting then, that, that then depends on uh, which age brackets care. Uh, <laughs> not care more or less, it might just be some people care more and some people are indifferent. Um, and they just haven't been exposed to it as much as um, as other people have been. Of course, of course. As interesting, I'm always interested in the sort of demographics and psychographics mm. of these things. Um, Lucy, um, I wanted to ask you. You were talking about the community and creativity and and this like that's this burst of awesomeness that you're seeing. Um, so there's clearly a demand for non-violent video games. Do you see that? increasing over time or do you think it's just a fad because perhaps it's just a generational thing at the moment what do you think what's your take on it no i definitely see it increasing i mean um the lockdown effect is definitely i, th I think has had an effect on people um animal crossing basically one lockdown you know everybody was playing that same here uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, and um you know, I, I've, my, I've got an 18-year-old daughter and I noticed that, she, like, she'll play shooty games and violent games as much as anybody, but the thing that she loves is creating stuff, you know, um, whether it's Sims, which she's obsessed with, um, or um, i trying to think what else. She still plays Minecraft at 18 year, years old, you know, because she just likes making a world um, and hanging out there with her pals, right? Uh, and I don't see it's not I don't I don't see any that becoming less of a thing really you know, um, particularly as let's face it the world is you know not the best place right now. Um, I think people want escapes that don't remind them of the rubbish that's going on outside their own front door. You know, um, I think people want to 
they want to collaborate with people. They want to connect with people on the other side of the world. They want to, you know, just get as much joy as they can out of life. So I think it's only going to build and build and build. I mean, you have, did people, I think modders uh, modified alien uh, isolation to take the enemies out and stuff so that you could just wander around and look at these beautiful environments and things. Um, yeah, I don't. I think the the, the uh, appetite for stuff that just makes you think or create or relax is just only going to build. Really, absolutely, I agree. Um, especially as a big Minecraft fan, uh, won't give away my age. I'm definitely older than eighteen. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, Rob, um, do you think that? I mean, just generally speaking, like there, there's definitely demand. You know, having spoken to everyone here for. Uh, non-violent video games and I definitely play a lot of non-violent video games myself um, I mean do you think they get enough credit do you think the indies do you think the non-violent video games do you think that all of that needs to get more credit more press that we should be sure to get more about it Rob what do you think yeah I think it's certainly not going to hurt for sure yeah you know it, it's it's definitely I guess for a situation like us, you know, where a lot of your getting a game to market route sometimes has to revolve around, well, now we need to pitch this to a publisher, right? Now this needs to, we need to have someone help us bring this to market, either through funding or through distribution and, you know, marketing and things like that. And, you know, the, the more success stories you're able to point to, then the more persuasive your argument can be, right? And that's only going to then help more of those stories get out. And it just kind of snowballs from there, right? So, you know, if, if we're able to, to kind of push that and, and have games, you know, non-violent games take more of a stage in, in the in the industry, then it's only going to help more of those those stories come forward, right? And and publishers will be willing to take more of a risk, you know, on, on a market that might not be as big as the, the the shooter or the racer market or whatever, right? You know, your your Call of Duties and you know your annual releases in those sense, right? You're you're not needing to compete with them. There's a there's a defined market that enjoys those games, and you can really point to them and say, look, there's this many people that would like to, to buy this game and so this is a really viable proposition you know um so no i think that that can only help but no, i can only echo what what judy and lucia said i think there's there's never been more appetite for for these sorts of products and i don't think that's going anywhere it's only getting bigger and bigger as you know as especially as, as as games become more accessible as well you know just the way that platforms and technology has been so democratized you know you can play a game on your phone and then on your pc and then on your your switch and it's the same game and it's the consistent experience throughout you know that's only going to bring more people in and then i think as that happens then you just get more uh, more sort of a variety of of experiences right absolutely and just before i move on with any other questions i just want to remind everyone watching that you can ask any questions we've got quite a few coming in so please um ask your questions in the little q a box and we'll do our best to get through those in around about 10 minutes um i'm going to stick with you rob for just a, a second clearly with this demand this growing demand in non-violent video games the industry changing clearly there's an appetite for it um, how has, just specifically, how have the studios in Scotland responded to this demand? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I think that um, particularly in Scotland, and at least I, I can experience this in, in Dundee in particular, because I think primarily because of Abertay, but there's so many cool little studios popping up, right? And, you know, there used to be a time, even when I was at university, which wasn't that long ago, where the route was kind of okay you know you, you finish your degree and then you go off and work at a big studio you know and, and those those places can be great but I think more so now 
there's a really viable option where it's, well, now you can start your own little studio, right? And you can be your own little independent game studio with just a few people and build a really cool game that, that you know, might bring something new to the table. Um, so I think like in terms of what Scotland's doing is that there's a lot of really, really strong indie studios coming up, you know, every single year, there's just crazy new talent coming out that's, that's going to bring something new to the table. Um, but I guess what I'd really like to see is like, what's the next big game from Scotland? You know, there's, there's all these really great little indie games and, and, you know, that sort of smaller scale budgets and smaller scale publishers, but, you know, we all know Grand Theft Auto and, you know, going back even to like Lemmings and stuff like that, right? There's all the big, the big names that have come out of Scotland, but I'd really want to know what's the, really the next big, big IP that comes out for, from us and, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that maybe that could be someone. I don't, maybe that could be our game. I don't know. Oh. But, like, <laughs> but that's what I'd love to see, right? Like, what's the next big thing coming out of Scotland? Yeah, yeah definitely. What about you, Jude? What's your feeling about what's happening in Scotland? And then I'll ask Lucy after you, Jude. What, what are you feeling uh, from there at the moment? Yeah, well, I, th- I mean, I think Scotland's got a really big advantage of, you know, COP, you know, happened in Glasgow in November. And, you know, I, I think Scotland as well is kind of really, really leading the charge when it comes to, thinking about every policy with a climate lens and so what can be done in that space in, in game development so I think that's kind of a big opportunity for studios I think there's obviously you know a huge amount of talent in Scotland with Aberdeen University and you know and on the data um, and AI side as well I think there's incredible talent so I think the resources are there I think um, you know opportunities could be through collaboration um, but you know kind of thinking about I'm just kind of throwing throwing this out there, but you know what? Who who can studios collaborate with in the climate space, um, for example, to create some kind of really game changing games? And I'm just thinking about you know like if you look at Hellblade um, by Ninja Theory, um, you know they did a phenomenal job um, around mental health. It was around kind of showing a, a character uh, with psychosis, um, and they had uh, I'll say they put some funding in of their own, and they worked with the Wellcome Trust, and they worked with subject matter experts in the space. So I think some of the, you know, if you want to make really impactful games, um, that collaboration piece, that partnership piece is, is really key. And I think that's where Scotland could kind of pull on these strengths of um, climate action um, and other areas of sustainability. But, you know, climate action is where we need to be taking a lot of action. So it's, um, uh, you know, it sounds bad to say that it's off the moment, but it is urgent, you know. So I think there's opportunities there for game developers um, to do more in Scotland around the topic. Absolutely. And what about you, Lucy? How are you feeling about the scene in Scotland at the moment specifically? Well, right now, having heard um, these two lovely people speak, I'm feeling great about it because I'm based in Guildford. And obviously, I left Scotland to um, join the games industry um, at the dawn of time. Um, And so to hear, especially that Rob is in Dundee, and that's, you know, my hometown, um, that's where I'm from, uh, you know, and that we're all from Aberté is is really rather cool. Um, but yeah, to, to, to listen to Rob and Judith, I'm pleasantly surprised. I did have a feeling because um, I did a, another BAFTA thing a, a short while ago, and, um, you know, I met some people then that were saying that it's, it's up and coming, it's happening in Scotland now, and it's just, it's delightful to hear of it because Scotland's got some really creative people um and you know there's a there's a really good um uh there's a lot of technical people in scotland you know there's a lot of talent there basically so it's really really good to hear that it's blossoming finally 
yeah, absolutely absolutely now we've got some questions coming in which i'm going to i've got one more question for you guys then we're going to hand it over uh to the people watching so i just wanted to ask uh just more of a kind of like i guess a sort of planning and technical question um because i'm quite interested how do you all begin planning your games do you start with the goal do you work backwards I, i've got no idea so i wanted to start with uh rob and then we'll go lucy then jude uh, Rob, how do you begin planning your games? If it's not a client thing and it's your game that you're starting yourself, where where do you start? How do you yeah, start? For sure, that's a great question. Um, so, I mean, we the way that we kind of approach it is we always like to start with a theme, right? There's, I think the way that we want to make games is that we need to say something with the game. There needs to be a kind of purpose to it. Um, there needs to be some sort of moral argument or something that we're trying to communicate. And so we always try and establish that theme of like, well, what's the emotional takeaway from this experience before we even understand what the game mechanically is going to be? It's like we want to understand what we want to kind of express. Um, and I think that's really important because you can use that to just facilitate so much decision making in the game, because um, I think it's really easy to, to kind of fall into a trap where you you think mechanically, okay, this is the game we're building. And then you just look to other games and then you just automatically start putting in features from other games. Yeah. Um, and that can be really helpful because you don't want to reinvent the wheel in a lot of cases. But, you know, if you start with theme, then you can start to think about, well, you know, before we put this feature in, let's think, is it actually suitable or not? You know, does this facilitate our theme or does this, you know, damage it in some way? And then that can actually let you make some really creative decisions where you maybe don't include something that you might expect from that sort of genre trope, right? Or you you augment that feature in some way that makes it communicate your theme better. Um, so that's where we always start. And then from there, you know, it's just about bringing the team in and, 